Okay, everyone, let's go ahead and bring it in. Uh, I'm going to ask a few questions to the people on the panel um, first, and then we're just going to open it up for questions. Anything pertaining to tonight or mission in general? Um, so go ahead and bring those conversations to a close. Um, my first, the first question I'm going to ask is, uh, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine, um, and uh, his name is Ayasu, and I thought it would be really important for, for him to be here tonight for a few reasons. One is I've learned a ton from him. I remember first time I sat down and had coffee with him. Do you remember this, with Tyler and I? Um, I took about three pages of notes, and I feel like I really learned... Um, uh, I saw an example and deep, thoughtful reflection about mission that has shaped my life and, and, and I've mentioned in many contexts. Um, so, but the other thing why I think it's important is as a body, we need to learn from, from one another. And we need to learn from different denominations. We need to learn from, from different generations. And also the global church is healthier when the church in America is learning from the church in Ethiopia and in Russia and uh, in Latin America and so on and so forth. So Eyasu is from Ethiopia. And Eyasu, if you could just tell us a little bit about um, the story of uh, when, when you were kids and the initiatives that you, you started. Maybe take about five minutes or so. We'll give you about five minutes to just talk about uh, the initiatives that you guys started uh, as youth in Ethiopia and what was behind it. So, do we have a mic for him? Oh, oh there it is. Uh, okay. Uh, hi. Uh, as Jean said, I am uh, Yasu from Ethiopia. Um, it is a long story, but I'm trying to just... Uh, bring it up into three or five minutes. Hmm. Uh, the ministry that I am involved is called Hope for Children, Ethiopia. Uh, we started it about 20 years ago when we were uh, in the high school and then right after high school, me and my friends have been uh, praying and fellowshipping and uh, studying the word of God and especially in Ethiopia right after high school for many uh, thousands of uh, uh, people after high school, uh, there is no hope. I mean, there is uncertainty. There is no job or anything. So we've been praying about it and uh, 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 seeking Lord's face at that time. And we've been praying overnight, and we go to the mountains and pray and study the Word of God. And in the middle of it, uh, we see the brokenness of our city, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Hundreds and thousands of uh, uh, street children uh, are all over. So the Lord opened up on our eyes, and then we felt that we've been challenged, and then we believed that we can change the situation in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa. So we started to go out on the street and then uh, communicate with the kids and preaching the gospel to them, introducing Jesus and the love. It's been challenging, and it's very new, but the approach is very interesting. And then we are uh, talking their language and then act like they act. As a matter of fact, we sleep with them, and we eat with them. We play uh, soccer with them. 
so we try to create that friendship with them. Sometimes uh, it takes cleaning the area that they're sleeping on. Uh, we share our clothes, uh, our, 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 our shoes, and even uh, we share our lunch with them. So that really brings a very, very uh, a big impact on them. And then many of them start to come to Christ. To make it short, our ministry is involved in young prostitutions right now. We uh, bring them to, uh, to, 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 to Christ. And not only that, and we saw a very broken hurt among those young girls who are uh, unwillingly and unfortunately involved in selling their body for money, but uh, not only uh, bring them to Christ, but also to break the burden of poverty on them. And then we train them in uh, uh, vocational trains and send them to, to uh, college and uh, be able to support themselves financially and support their family. Uh, we have about more than 1,500 uh, 1, uh, children currently uh, who are going to school through our ministry started 20 years ago in humble young high schoolers. So uh, what it is is a very simple, simple obedience uh, and believe in God that he can do better things through us regardless of our um, circumstances. In our circumstances, we all are from poor family. Me and my friends, we all are from poor family. The project, what we, uh, the project that we took on is unthinkable in our level. But the Lord was able to do a very magnificent job through us. Indeed. And uh, you can see how, like when I was theologically reflecting and, and thinking about how these mandates relate to each other, one of the best examples I have seen of them coming together was the work that they did in Ethiopia. That's, think about it. A bunch of high schoolers <laughs> uh, got together and said, how can we engage in the stewardship mandate with this, these vocational skills and giving dignity of, of working with your hands and making beautiful things? Um, the, the service mandate of, of pouring their time, their effort, their money um, into that and even pushing into some dangerous situations when you're engaging with prostitution and those sorts of things. The, 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 the people who benefit don't get happy about that. And then you hear the richness with which they want to communicate the good news. So, um, Brittany, next, this question's for you. Um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your work, who you are, and what you do. And then, um, now I've got a follow-up question for you, but I'll just give you one at a time. Okay. Oops, sorry. Gotcha. So, um, about three years ago, um, in just Jesus and his craziness of mission, uh, said go to this little island uh, off the coast of Honduras. It's called uh, Santa Elena. And uh, showed up there. I'm an occupational therapist, and uh, no one was running their medical clinic. So they said, well, um, you're the best we've got. Um, in an hour one morning, handed me a, a chicken wing and a pig's foot and said, here's how you do stitches. We'll see you later. Um, and three years later, um, God is graciously just, um, you know, allowing relationships to develop out of that clinic because we're not just broken in our spirit and our soul 
but these brokenness, um, this expression of brokenness on the outside is connected to the brokenness in our soul. And so I'm in this extremely tiny community on a four by one mile island. Um, and so the people that I live and do life with are my patients. And we get to just experience this really unique place of um, speaking into one another's lives and seeing how, you know, the, the brokenness in one place spills over into the other, but also then how, you know, redemption is coming into all of those places. Um, so I just see, like, mission is, is God's thing, and he gets to tell us where to go. And he, I just, I picture us coming to the table in the morning with our dad. And he's like, okay, here's the plan. This is all what I've got going on today. I need someone to cover this and someone, okay, yep, you got, okay, let's go. And then we reconvene. And so at different seasons and times, he just moves us where he is working. Um, and for this season, it's been on this little island. So my, my follow-up question is, and I think you kind of got into it a little bit. Um, I, one of the big challenges we have is being paralyzed by the overwhelming amount of options of where we should get to work. And somehow, in this big globe, God landed you on this one island. Um, how did you go about discerning where God was leading you to, to, to focus your mission efforts? And do you have any advice for those in the room who are asking the same question? I don't think there's like, this is how it goes down. Hmm. Um, mine was like a, a, a series of hearing God speak, wrestling, um, stepping out in like, I don't know what's going to happen, really thinking I knew, and then like, like crickets chirping. Um, and uh, so just over a course for me, it was, you know, in a process, long story, but at one point it was, you know, hearing kind of like, I'm going to give everything away. All right? You know, and, and waiting for that, the, next pay, the next piece of that and, and just trusting that Jesus would reveal that in his time. Starting to think I knew the answer and starting to kind of like hmm. look for what made sense to me and what I thought was, you know, clever or something. And uh, the Lord just simply saying, no, that's, that's not it. So continuing to wait upon the Lord. And I stepped off an airplane in a place that I couldn't have told you where it was on a map. And when I stepped off it, the Lord said, this is it. Yeah. But it had been months of waiting. And then when that came, just saying, okay, here we go. That's great. Um, my question for you, Danae. Um, I think one of the things, a warning as we tend to, if, as we seek to be more intentional with, with mission, is that history is filled with people saying that they're participating in God's mission and really probably participating in Satan's mission, like contributing to more brokenness in the world than, than uh, pointing to the glory of God or the self-giving love of Christ. What would you say to us to help prevent us from being that and doing that? Yeah, you know, this time last year, we took a group of leaders in the city to the Navajo Nation, and we did like a two-day, three-day retreat up there with different pastors and leaders, and it was so chilling to see all these churches and all these community centers that were built, um, 
And essentially, you know, from the beginning of the DNA of these ministries, it was to save souls, kill the Indian, was like the phrase. Mm -hmm. And there was horrific abuse done to children um, by Christian, you know, missionaries and leaders. And I just think it's so easy to look back, you know, a generation ago, two generations ago, three generations ago, and say, oh, they were so blind. Like, that's so horrific. Um, And yet those people, many of them, um, perhaps all of them really went with some strong convictions that they were that they loved God and they were doing what He wanted. And so, what are the what are those blinders in our lives? Um, I do think there should be um, some some caution, you know, as we as we think about what does this look like. I met with someone recently, and I kind of just shared, you know, when you have a when God puts a burden or a passion on your heart to do a good a good deed to do good works. Um, for the vulnerable or for um, you're going to go into a different culture that you don't know very well, um, always kind of have some red flags if you have like the whole business plan done and you don't even know a single person um, in that community yet. And just like Brittany said, God is already doing this work. The Spirit is already at work. And so how do we be a people that are praying for God to take us to the place where he's already doing something mm. and then go with the eyes to see, and this is what we talked about last night, like the eyes to see um, who those people are, ears to listen to them, and to really take time to sit and learn. Um, a lot of the different people I'll meet with who are working with, um, non, you know, trying to like start nonprofits or doing really great things, they've spent tons of time connecting with the people they need to get the resources to start this new ministry. Um, and I'll always say, you need to have had 10, 15, maybe 20 times the amount of meetings with people that, with the population that you want to be involved in. Because um, they're actually a much more valuable asset and resource to you than these people with funds. Um, And you're going to be able to serve these people with funds so much better if you first put yourself in a place to learn from groups that they they might never meet. One more question uh, before we open it up. Iyasu, I had had a little part that I was ran out of time to talk about. It was on the role of prayer in mission. Uh, Can you talk to us about uh, what role prayer plays in mission and what you've experienced? Uh, yeah, prayer has a very important, prayer is a very important uh, aspect of our life, mm. uh, uh, so to speak. Uh, not only the mission, but it has to be a way of life mm. because that's how we communicate with the Lord. Mm. Uh, if I don't talk to you, I don't know you. Uh, if I don't tell you what I want, you don't know what, what uh, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean God doesn't know, but we have to confess it. We have to say it. We have to tell him, pour our heart up. Uh, prayer, when I observe here in America, I've been in America for about eight, nine years. Mm. So uh, I try to come across with a lot of people, Christians, uh, they only have like five, ten minutes prayer. But mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like five, ten minutes prayer. I'm talking about half-day prayer. Mm. I'm talking about full-day prayer. I'm talking about uh, 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 fasting and praying. Mm. I'm talking about sometimes mountain prayer because there is a reason why Christ go up to the mountain. There is a reason why Elijah go up to the mountain and communicate. I mean, away from the crowd, not mm. only on spirit, but also in body. Mm. and physical. So prayer is the most important element in our Christian life. Mm. 
to make our journey easier. Otherwise, we're going to make it like Israelites. The, the journey from Egypt to the to promised land is supposed to be 40 days. But because of the misunderstanding, it, take, it took them 40 years. So in order for us to make it easier to get from point A to point B in, in, in our mission, we have to spend more time communicating with him, spend time with him, seeking his face. It's not working with five minutes mm. uh, prayer. That's good. That's good. One, th- one thing I would add to that is the, uh, we often, our imagination of how we're supposed to pray is often shaped, it's like the, you close your eyes and you bow your head and you're alone. And we, I mean, mostly that's, a, that's not necessarily a biblical posture, like the whole close your eyes thing, um, as much as it is like it's controlling children from being distracted when they're praying. I would say when you, one thing, a practice you can do is open your eyes and go on prayer walks. There's a relationship between place and prayer, and that when you are in particular places, you are feeling and seeing and smelling your whole body isn't engaged in what's going on there and your 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 soul is crying out to god for that and so i would encourage you to take prayer walks and be in the places with eyes wide open let's take some questions what questions do we have about mission um stand up and holler it out go ahead oh you yeah just in regards to prayer, because I do think you're right on in the sense of prayer being the most important element in the mission, how do you practice working up to, for people like me, uh, maybe, maybe 15, 10 minutes, and you're like starting to, your mind trails off, other than like prayer walks, how do you build up to half day, full day prayer, mountain prayer, like all of that, how do you build up to it? Uh. I think we have to be intentional. I mean, imagine. I mean, it depends on how in love you are with Christ. Let's think of your girlfriend or wife. Are you going to be bored, like, spending time with her, especially moments? I mean, we have to uh, develop to that level. We have to be in love to who we serve first. We have to love him enough to spend time with him then uh, prayer is not something that you have to work it out. Prayer, we don't pray to begin with. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to plead. All you have to do is ask the Holy Spirit within that 15 minutes prayer to help you pray. And then, because the Bible says we don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit pleads through us. So that's when you, you pray according to his will. It's not according to our will. Some prayers are not answered because we pray based on our interest, not based on what God wants. So all we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you to communicate with the spirit, the spirit realm. Brittany, do you want to add anything to that? You're nodding your head as if you resonate, so. Anytime I think that we try to do any of what Jesus calls us to do out of, like, our own effort, like, then we're in trouble. Mm. 
like every single piece of it he has made provision for Hmm. even the point of like coming into relationship with him and so in in prayer um we are dependent upon him to draw our heart closer to him i mean he is perfectly capable of accomplishing his will without me praying for it Mm -hmm. but it's there to transform my heart and and build relationship with jesus and and woo me to not see the things of this world um, as beautiful compared to Jesus, and and so just totally relying on the Spirit for everything, including I don't even know how to pray mm. unless you intercede for me. Yeah. Like you have to come through in this moment, or I cannot even pray. And living in that sort of desperation for Jesus in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say last night we talked about the poverty of being wealthy, and that's one of those things that when we've grown up in the midst of um, privilege, we have access to constant distractions. So our brains can't even just sit right and listen um, for that long without all these thoughts happening. And so I think just one my little piece I would share is um, it has made a significant difference these last few years having uh, community and friendships. Who were who are passionate prayers, uh, pray, passionate. They are passionately. I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, but um, yeah, just the just it not just being an individual um, aspect of your relationship with God, but really taking time, like even tonight, you know, or what we did last night, like taking time to really pray together with your community um, develops that ability to then do that on your own in longer seasons. That's great. Other questions? Go ahead. Um, I'd just be curious to hear your guys' take on, uh, I don't know, for me personally, I get kind of tripped up between, you know, I guess my uh, standard mindset, or for lack of a better term, of, you know, when I think about serving, I think of, okay, like, there's, there's got to be some kind of suffering involved with that, as opposed to, you know, God directing us maybe through our interests and things that we hmm. Hmm. When God might be calling you to a place of like, hey, this is out of your comfort zone, there's a place of suffering, like how do you how do you make sense of both of those two things? Hmm. Yeah. Um, one thought I would have is that uh, I I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. And and Ephesians two, you know, we often hear eight and nine quoted that it's by grace we're saved through faith, not our own works. But somehow in the Reformation, like, like the verse 10 got clipped off and hid. And verse 10 talks about how God created us for good works, that we would walk in them. We, God made us in a certain way to do certain good works. And I think part of discerning what those works are are by seeing the things that he's made us good at, that he's made us interested in, so on and so forth. And, and I think that's the stewardship mandate. That's really delighting in being who you are and doing what you do. But in that, figuring out a way to pour those things out for the sake of the other. Uh, an example of that would be, uh, I know of a guy who, um, who um, is, he loves fixing things. He loves working with his hands. He has a bike repair shop. 
um, and, uh, and he repairs a lot of things, and he's really good at that, and he has chosen a profession that he really loves. He stewards those bike parts well to the glory of God, faithfulness and skill and, and creativity and detail orientation. And you could just see glimpses of God in that. But also, he says, that's not enough. I've got to think about how these can be leveraged for more and more people, and I can pour myself out with it. So what he does is he takes time where he could be making money, like what day of the week, and he goes um, to the, the places where homeless folks congregate, and oftentimes the only transportation that they might have is a bicycle, so he repairs their bikes and tunes up their bikes and things like that. That is such a better way of doing it, I think, than if he were to go be an English tutor somewhere. I know him. He's not even good at speaking English, even though it's his first language. He just, he, he speaks like 13 words a day. So the best way for him to serve others is to leverage the gifts that God's given him for the sake of another. And that's what I think takes more work and reflection, but is deeper and more of a blessing to others. Some other questions? Go ahead. Yeah. I've been really convicted about that as well. I mean, I have gifts and desires and talents, but I mean, I, I see all through Scripture that's almost a command for us to suffer for people. And even these quotes on page four seem to go on that a lot. Mm-hmm. So, what does that look like in our culture? From mm. you guys' experience. Danae, what do you have to say about that? Well, I would, I think that, again, not to kind of just keep going back to the same answer, but that's, again, one of those things that really has to get wrestled out with the Lord and, and asking the Spirit to give you, at least to put people, put, put yourself into people's, to cross paths. So, you know, every day, um, you know, I'll start my day by praying. I'll look at my calendar and I'll think, okay, I have this meeting at this place. I'm going to walk in my car from here to there. Like, Lord, what? Who would you have crossed my path in that time? And some of that is even just getting my mind um, to begin to think and, and to be ready to, if I do see someone, to, to really acknowledge that this conversation is happening. Whether it's, you know, 30 seconds while I get my cup of coffee from the barista, like this moment has been ordained by God for us to build a relationship. And so I think, I think that it can happen. Um, I think that's some practices. But I also think, you know, human suffering, and we talked about this last night, that what is so unique about physical poverty is it reminds all of us of just these human experiences that happen. So um, there is just suffering and evil and shame and abuse and all these things happening around you. So what's your job? Sales business. Okay, so your coworkers, um, even if they're you know, currently doing fine financially, guarantee there, there's people who have these stories that have just grown up in these really horrific situations. So what does it look like to go into deeper relationship with the people you're already around so you can begin to be someone that can have compassion? Like that word means co-suffering, that you can become a safe person to listen to people's stories and, and hold it with them in a way that really loves them and serves them and helps them um, begin to find healing. That's how, that's how that happens, right? And so I think sometimes, you know, we think about, and that's, you know, this idea of missions, like, 
what am I not doing? How do I go do something new? And sometimes we do need some of that in our life, but there's people all around us. Like you just, if you do life deep enough with anyone in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community, in your kid's school, um, you will get to know people's stories, especially as you really, that's why the blessed rhythms are so um, powerful. If you do that every single week, um, you mm. will begin to have opportunities to, to hear people's sufferings, but then you've got to feel that. And if you don't, feel it, then that's something you wrestle out with God. Like, why, why can I hear these things? Like, why is my, what I'm hearing and what I'm processing in my mind so disconnected from my heart? Like, why don't I co-suffer with that person? Why don't I feel that as though it's happening to my own brother, my own sister, my own, my own body? Why don't I love my neighbor as myself? And, that, and those kind of prayers, I think the Spirit begins to change us and helps us to, you know, have greater compassion for people. I, I, yeah, I think... Take those words, put those in your pocket. Reflect on them. That's massively important. And um, one thing I would add is the, when, when you think about suffering, I think we tend to like instantly go to like martyrdom as we're proclaiming the gospel. Um, <laughs> and we're like, uh, but I think what, what we're really, what this really is, is it's about changing the flow of the resources uh, and the direction of the flow. We have all these things that we're aiming and flowing towards our life. We're using our money, our time, the, the knowledge we've gained, uh, the, the, uh, our physical energy, and we're using it on us, using it on us. But when we turn that around so that it's going out towards others, it's painful. You, we don't like that. And that's part of the pain that we endure as we turn, we turn the, 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 little, the, the, the pipe around so that those things are flowing out towards others. Now, a caveat to that would be, well, what about burning out and not resting and all those sorts of things? I would say Sabbath is massively important. And I would say it, but I'm actually not living it. But I would say it, um, that it's massively important, and it is a part of loving our neighbor. As we rest, we get restored, so we are better uh, equipped to the other days of the week to do the good works that serve others. So rest is massively important. Pulling back is important, but not me time. It's restorative time for the sake of others. Yeah, I'd also just add to yeah. that, that this idea of rest, that a lot of mm. people's suffering is coming from not having rest in their life. Mm. And when you can be a restful person, when you can walk into something and be calm um, and have that, that presence of just rest and refreshment, even in the midst of stress and busyness, you are giving a taste to the world that like, they're parched for an understanding. How do I have that? How do you have that rest? And you can't have that apart from creating space to really have these times um, to reflect and to be rejuvenated and and such. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Like, Jesus is the one doing the work anyway. So when you Sabbath, Mm. you're proclaiming that God is big enough to keep doing the work, and you're obedient to him in that, so you're not, like, stopping mission to Sabbath. Mm, yeah. Just saying. That's great. That's great. It's nine o'clock. Um, we've had a good three hours here. We're going to get out on time, but uh, Ayasu, would you just close us in prayer tonight? 
Father, uh, thank you for your presence, for your guidance, for your love, protection, and for having us uh, a purpose for our life. Uh, help us to draw closer to you uh, in everything, uh, with everything we, we do. Uh, Father, help us to be a blessing for others. Uh, just like Abraham, as you blessed him and you make him a blessing for the nation. Uh, help us to see and understand what is in our hands and how we can be able to be a blessing to our neighbors and increase uh, our love to others and make us uh, people of purpose and uh, make us uh, reflectors of your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Quarter four is going to be on a Saturday, May 7th. Amy Sherman's coming to town to talk about vocation. Um, we'll see you there. It'll be at Grand Canyon University, not in this room. We'll see you there. <laughs>